the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome every one of you that are listening to me at this time. Um, a happy Monday. Happens to be April 5th, 2019. And uh, looking forward to a great two hours with yours truly. The number to reach me is one 367 5329 1-888-367-5329. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it and try to put our feet on the ground, if you will, and uh, make some sense out of the way our world is going. (laughs) I hope your weekend was well. I hope your worship was good. I hope your focus is right. If not, we'll try to do a little bit of something about that today. Again, the number to reach me is one 888 367 You know what we do? We talk, we engage, we contemplate, we, um, we dialogue, we debate, we deal with issues that come up. Uh, largely, I set the tone, the table, the context for discussion, but uh, frequently I will allow uh, maybe a good topic coming from my um, sage listening audience to participate in developing the program. So what can we do today that might constitute a new, different, uh, and never-done-before program? I don't know. So I'll see. Well, for me, let me see if I can put it this way. Um, I'm still on this contemplation. I'm still on this deep sort of uh, mental trajectory about how to manage life for the glory of God. That's kind of where I'm at. It's a kind of life management agenda for me, L-M-A, life management agenda. And and what that means is that I really am looking deeply into God's word. That's called objectivity for me. The source of my uh, epistemology is is the word of God. And and by the word of God, I frame my view of the world. I look at the world through the word of God, but I look at the word of God in order to see the world the way I think it should be seen, the way God would say that it should be seen. So that's my objective. But then there is my 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 analysis, my comparison of the way the world is, the way the world works, the way the world should work over against what God's word says is the way the world is working, good and bad, and how the world should work. And my 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 job is to strike a a parallelism or a comparison between the glory of God and the glory of the things that God created. I'm going somewhere, so just track with me for a moment. When we are believers in Christ, one of the things we have to really try to do is by virtue of observation, which requires reflection, which requires a kind of spiritual illumination, a a tutoring of the spirit of God to open your eyes and your mind to comprehend the world that's around you, kind of like being born only being born again, if you will. And as you are growing as a baby, you are taking in through all of your sensory perceptions, everything in your little world, and you are beginning to develop an epistemology, a worldview, an understanding how things work. That's what the believer is called to do, being newborn babes in Christ. And so we we, we view things through the prism of our social environment, our um, our immediate stewardship given parents. I'm going to be talking about that in a moment. The stewardship given uh, parental role that's given to them by God to have us and bring us into the world and and then lead us into the truth by virtue of what they see, hear, taste, touch, feel, and engage in. 
over time, they develop an epistemology that is both um, what we would call uh, philosophically testimonial, experiential, and then also traditional. If they have really good tutors and really good stewards, uh, overseers, pedagogues, parents, and loved ones who see the world that God the way God does and then pours into them all of the necessary skill sets and tools for them to rightly interpret the world, they'll grow up to be um, pretty good citizens. If not, then they're going to have a problem with everything they see. And quite frankly, that's where we are in our world today. If we are really not pressing into knowing why we are here, who made us, what is our purpose, what is our design, what is our agenda, and what is the ultimate outcome of uh, where we are, who we are, and where we're going. If we don't really press into that to know it like we ought to know it in order for it to frame for us a proper prism of what our world looks like and what our world should be like, as I said, observation and then comparison, and then ultimately integration. It's kind of a third category I'm working on, and that is for the believer to be able to see the beauty of God and God himself as revealed by his word, and then see the beauty and, and, and splendor and glory of God in the things that God has made. That somehow via the creation, Psalm 19, uh, the, 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 the glory of God is seen in what he has created, and his handiwork reveals his majesty that we are to be able to now interpret God a little bit better, not merely by what we see, but what God said, and then by what we see, if you know what I mean. So observation is learning didactically what God has said about the world. Comparison is comparing the glory of God with the glory of creation, and then integration, a kind of concept of being able to partake of the glory of God as revealed to us in Christ by the power of his Spirit, in conjunction with the physical world that we're in. That is the touch, taste, smell, feel, hear, all of the sensory perceptions that our body affords us, which is a gift from God to our physical bodies, our stewardship to us. We can then begin to have an analogous experience of the reality of the glory of God and the truth of God, fortunately and unfortunately. What do I mean by that? Um, as I'm talking about observation and comparison and integration in order for us to have a comprehensive knowledge of God that transcends mere speculation, um, which is a concept that that's not owned by me. Brighter minds have thought about it, but it makes all the sense in the world. So I, I'm operating out of these principles and discovered that I have been for a long time. Um, <clears throat> I'm talking about recognizing both the good and evil in our world. That really is the challenge of every human being, but certainly the believer. The believer is going to have the challenge and struggle and mandate of determining what is right and wrong and and what is good and evil and what works and what doesn't, what glorifies God and what does not glorify God, what honors God and what does not honor God. The believer has to deal with this journey, this challenge, this path, this experience every day of his life until it terminates in his ultimate destiny, which is glory. He has to engage in understanding good and evil, right and wrong, morality, immorality, ethics, unethical behavior, sin and transgression and rebellion over against righteousness and obedience. He has to engage these factors. These are tools that are given him. And when these tools are taken away from him, then he is left to grovel in the obscurity of a world filled with all kinds of confusion, chaos, contradiction, and troubles. And his life is going to be problematic. I'm thinking about a story that I came across today as a consequence of to listening to one of my sage uh, grammatical theologians. Uh, and, and, and it's a story that I thought I'd better bring to the table to begin to exercise your senses. It's something I talked about a month ago or, or so. In our church, I often lay out concepts as basic frameworks and substratums for uh, paths of Bible study around the, the Word of God and the gospel for our church. And one of the things I've stated recently is that when you look at history and mankind, you can see the trajectory away from a God-centeredness to a man-centeredness. I think you agree with that, right? That we are moving from a God-centeredness to a man-centeredness. And that man-centeredness has propelled itself uh, on the framework and the tools of science. 
So we have gone from what I call the sacred spiritual man to the secular science man. And the secular science man is what God warned would occur when we take the tools of God, which are meant for his honor, and turn them into the toys of men designed for the lust of our flesh. Let me say that again. When we take the tools of God designed for his honor and glory, the spade and shovel and picks and, and tools by which through analysis and comparison and, and working through what the creation has clearly laid out as a testimony of God's eternal power and Godhead so that we are with it, without excuse, unapologetically given the witness and testimony of the reality of the invisible God. When we take those tools and we use them merely as toys for our own lust and our own gratification, then we've moved from the sacred man to the secular, scientific, social man. That's where we are in our culture today. I'll tell you a story right quick before I go to the break, and then we'll come back and unpack that story around this moral, ethical, spiritual uh, implications. <clears throat> the story goes like this. The two young men got married, because, you know, that's what folks do today. And uh, they decide they want to have a baby. Um, but, you know, biologically they can't. I mean, they can pretend to be men and women all they want to, but they can't have a baby. At least not yet, not until we gut the inside of a male and put in false parts, etc. And then we can pretend that we are operating out of the original design. But as you know, that will be mythical too. But right now, because it can't happen, what do you have to do? You either have to adopt a child or go through some gymnastics. Well, the story goes that a 61-year-old woman serving as a gestational surrogate for her son and his husband, gave birth to her own granddaughter last week. That's right. Story by Gwen Abel in the AP says a 61-year-old woman serving as the gestational surrogate for her son. You got that? 61-year-old woman is having a baby for her son. Now, this is not new. If you were just to go look it up, that's been done before. But in this context, it's being done for her son, who is married to another man who they call husband and wife. And because they can't have kids, they wanted mom to have kids for them. Now, this is not all to the story. The woman, Cecil Elledge, delivered the nearly six-pound baby, whom they're calling Uma, we'll talk about Uma in a moment, Louise Doherty, she's female, Elledge, at the Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha at 6.05 a.m. last Monday after her son, Matthew Elledge, and his husband, Elliot Doherty, decided to expand their family. Doherty's sister, Leah Irby, offered to donate her eggs. Ah, so that's where we get the combination, because you see, you can't have a human being by two men. It's got to be male and female. Now we're stuck back at Genesis, aren't we? The couple planned to find another surrogate to deliver the child. They, the couple t- planned to find another surrogate to deliver the child, but they found the process confusing and weren't completely confident about navigating in vitro fertilization as gay men. Matthew Ellich left his mother, Cecil, and his husband, Matthew Ellis and his mother, Cecil, and husband, Elliot Doherty, greet baby Uma last week. Nebraska's a bit more conservative, says one of them, and we were hesitant to go into an agency and had a bit of fear that maybe some things would hold us back being a gay couple, uh, Matthew Ellis said. That's when Cecil offered to be the couple's gestational carrier. That's grandma. Can you imagine grandma? Can you imagine grandma? Just say, I'll do it. I'll grandma. And here's what she said. I just never hesitated. She said, I was just so excited to be able to be part of this. Here's what she call it. This is what I mean by going from sacred to secular, from sacred to scientific, secular to scientific, secular, social. I, I, I just was so excited to be part of this adventure, adventure, having a baby this way, adventure with them. And it was just now here's the other word we're going to unpack, unconditional love. She just did it out of unconditional love. That's the saying that runs through the church like a Trojan horse as well. You guys know we've talked about that before. There's no such thing as unconditional love. Unconditional love simply equals permissiveness. It has no boundaries, has no morals, no ethics, no framework. It doesn't have the highest objectives in view. It just lets people do what they want to do. And and Christian folk call unconditional love the way that God loves us. 
And I would say he doesn't love us unconditionally. He puts all kind of conditions on his love, and that's the only way he can love us. Now notice, at first her son was skeptical. Was a 61-year-old woman in a position to deliver a baby? He said, I put my foot in my mouth, Matthew Ellidge recall, and I told her, Mom, you're postmenopausal. You can't do that, right? But according to doctors, she could. After they gave her a clean bill of health and a go-ahead, the whole family prepared for the pregnancy. The whole family. You see where we are today? Whole family. It was really exciting to know that my mom and dad and whole ancestry and family lineage were going to be a part of her, that is the daughter. Doherty said of his baby daughter. Now, notice this. Elliot, Elliot Doherty holds his newborn daughter, Uma, at the Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. These are pictures with husband Matthew Elledge last week. Uh, Matthew's mother, Cecil, was the surrogate mother to her grandchild, which was conceived with the sperm of Matthew Elledge and an egg from Doherty's sister. Huh? Leah Ruby, um, they say Doherty lost his own mother recently, but he's found comfort in seeing how much Uma resembles his family. I was feeding her, Doherty said, and it was early and she wasn't eating very fast. And I just looked at her, her face and I saw my mom's face there, Doherty said. In a way, it's just, it just felt like I was taking care of my sweet mom. Doherty and Matthew L. Elledge said they anticipate difficulty uh, in conversations, narrow-minded reactions, absolutely, over Uma's unconventional birth story, to say the least. But the couple is prepared to explain the circumstances to Uma when she gets older. One of them says, I'll tell her Aunt Leah gave a piece of her. Matthew Ellis said she gave a seed to start the gift of life, and her grandmother provided the loving garden for her to bloom. And I think that's gorgeous. This is the... Uh, the, the more feminine one of the two speaking. So here's how this goes. This is, this is the problem I, I, I know that they're going to be struggling with. And, and you and I can talk about it. When Uma gets old enough, <clears throat> Uma's going to say, now, who, who, who really is my mama? And one of the two are going to have to say, well, uh, Uma, uh, your auntie is really your mama. But your auntie didn't have you. It was your grandmama that had you, not your auntie. And so even though your daddy, who really is not your daddy, uh, is owning you as your daddy, and your mommy, who is really not your daddy either, is owning you as your mommy, you really are something that you are not, even though you're something. And see, Uma is going to end up having to deal with the same chaos that we're dealing with today. And that is fiction over fact, reality over figmentation. Uh, biblically speaking, it's a contradiction of uh, God-ordained stewardship over um, man just doing what he wants to do. And because he has the capability, capability of doing it, he then does it. That poor child is going to struggle with Fixed and factions and factions and fix fictions and 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 facts and and figures and things that well it's going to make it very difficult for that child. So how would you work through that? You were the mother, grandmother, sister, brother, uh, cousin, whatever. How would you work through that? How do you see that? I'm going to take a break. I'm way overdue, but when we come back, I'm going to just kind of lay out some biblical concepts and, and approaches to it uh, by which I think it through, filter it, analyze it, compare it, com- make comparison, and then determine <clears throat> if that couple were placed on my door- doorsteps as a ministry, how would I engage them biblically to show them what God's Word says about that and do it in a way that... Um, It's designed to realize and remember that we're all sinners and in need of grace and mercy in Christ. How would you deal with that? Because it's coming to your door. 1-888-367-5329. 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back. The time 527 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I shared a story with you before the break. And, And I shared that story because while it may seem unique right now that we would take, for instance, two men who are married and um, go so far as to 
really this is what we would call on a much more empirically uh, factual level an adoption. Would you agree? This is an adoption. Um, these two men who are married um, have asked someone to be surrogate parents or surrogate birth donors, the grandma. Grandma's the, the, the birth donor, the birth surrogate mother, uh, birth giver. But the eggs are not grandma's. They, I guess they just didn't want to struggle with that. Although, as I said in my uh, traversing through this article, I did find other grandmothers who are older than this uh, woman, Cecil. Uh, some up to the age of 72 doing that, having children for their grandkids, which is just as bizarre if you ask me. You know, you just wonder what's going on in grandma's head that she would be engaged in what they call here an adventure like this. I would call it an absolute sad, tragic, uh, a a story of accomplice for a whimsical, uh, willful behavior pattern on the part of two people who really don't care about Uma. They really don't care about Uma. This is about them. They don't care about Uma, uh, who will have to really struggle through. How she came into being. They don't really care about that. This is about who they are. The sister who decided to share her eggs doesn't care about Uma either. She just cared about being a little part of a larger project that they all knew that the world would give about five minutes of uh, attention to. And they are getting 20 here Um, only because it's bizarre and different. And so you've got all of these 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 culprits, two men who are uh, pretending to be married or alleging to be married in the biblical sense. That's not possible. Um, they can't operate in a complementarian relationship where they're the same sex. That's what the biblical mandate is about in that context. They can't produce children, not that. Producing children is the totality of marriage, but it is central to marriage. Otherwise, why have marriage? Um, that that daughter that came about came about through very complex complex circumstances, and that daughter now has to grow up dealing with a worldview that is eminently eminently uh, unique uh, compared to the rest of the world, and we'll have to deal with the burden of uh, uh, having four, three, or four different wishes and wills as the uh, composite whole of her makeup. So, what do you think about that? How would you if that was placed on your doorstep, that particular situation as a relative or as a friend or uh, someone with whom your advice or your 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 views would be given? How would you handle that, Christian? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If that was a coworker of yours or um, a, um, a a a school uh, colleague of yours. How would you respond to that? Would you be able to uh, be able to stand your ground and 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 give a biblical answer and 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 explain it in a way that would help them to understand how far afield that is from what God truly mandated? Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to share with them as Christians are given to be salt and light in the world? Well, that's what we are. We're not just here to compromise the gospel. We're not here to just say there, there, whatever you want to do is all right. The Bible's fundamentally clear, is it not? That there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And uh, as innocuous or as harmless as this may seem to appear, this pattern, this here is another evidence of the gradual shifting away of our understanding of what marriage is relative to a biblical mandate of stewardship. It's another, another departure down the, the line of what I call the perilous pendulum. The perilous pendulum is swinging. It seems to swing back and forth from generation to generation, but it's swinging further and further and further to the left, if you will. Uh, and, and, and how would you and I as Christians uh, deal with that? You get a couple like that coming to your church. How are you going to handle that, pastor? How are you going to handle that? Are you going to collapse up under uh, socialism? You're going to collapse up under postmodernism? Are you going to collapse under uh, the pressure of the multitude? Or are you going to be able to um, share biblical truth in a comprehensive way to let them know categorically wherein they made their mistakes? 
And then as a Christian who is called to be salt and light, are you going to be able to take the uh, withstand the consequences? Because that's that's where we're going. Please understand this is what's going on with this couple here is not about this couple. This is about the larger, uh, more cosmic conflict in our world between, as I said in my opening monologue, good and evil, right and wrong. Morality and immorality. Okay, that's where we are. And that's what you and I will have to face unless we're going to try to just, uh, you know, circle the wagons and hide within the framework of a kind of Christian community that we hope to God that it never, ever has to deal with those kind of uber complex situations. But fact of the matter is you had a lot of that going on in the Roman Empire. I mean, you you take the era of uh, of of the Lord Jesus Christ with Caesar Augustus and 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 uh, Tiberius Caesar, and then on to Julius Caesar and and uh, uh, Nero, <clears throat> and then all of his crazy cousins. They were doing some bizarre things, all because they had the power to do it. Today, our power is not always economic. Our power sometimes is just that we have the media to uh, be able to look at us and uh, and say to us, you know, um, look at what they're doing. Now they'll get their 10 minutes of fame. It will rush in and give them their 10 minutes of fame. But do you believe that this is good for the world? Is it good for your society? And again, my question to you, three lines open, one 367 Would you be able to handle biblically that kind of assignment if it were placed on your lap hi i'm jim hi i'm james and this is our daughter um sally but neither one of us had her she's the product of grandma and auntie and yet you know we're her parents and so she calls me daddy and him mommy but in fact the matter that's not really the way that it is how would you help them distinguish between myth in reality, between truth and error, between falsehood and the integrity of, of that which God has called us to in terms of, of uh, biblical stewardship with everything that we have. one 367 5329 I've got three categories of, of biblical answers that I want to share with you on that matter, just in case you want to hear it. Three categories of biblical truth I want to share on that matter uh, when I come back from the break. But I do have three lines open. Robert, you hold on. I've got three lines open if you guys want to enter into that conversation. How would you how would you deal with that? It became home to you in your home, your school, your work, even your church. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. Glad to be pressing you into the world in which you live and hoping you're bringing your Bible with you as you get pressed into it, because we have to be able to give an answer to every man, the hope of the calling that is within us with gentleness, that is meekness, but with truth. I'll be right back. And now back to lifeline. We are back the time five thirty eight on the Monday edition of lifeline. We're talking about the, um, the, the the gift and tools that God gives us as human beings, individuals, uh, couples, society at large, no matter what field of interest you are in, God gives us gifts. He gives us tools. He gives us equipment. And those tools are really designed to discover more about God through his creation. That was my basic premise in the opening of my discourse. But what I have stated about mankind moving from your sacred uh, uh, a spiritual uh, central position of of understanding the world via a, a, a God who created everything and created with purpose and design and, and created it with tools by which we can discover both the purpose and design. We have moved away from that sacred spiritual man as a whole uh, expression of, of, of a body politic in our world to the secular sacred man who now has taken the tools that God has given him and has used them as toys for his own lust. This, this all uh, is so clearly seen even by the way that we have split the atom and have turned the uh, enormous discovery of power in the atom into atom bombs, if you will, to blow up each other, to leverage power from one nation to the next, to control and to create fear and to, to dominate with it. And we saw that we almost destroyed our world with it. 
Where in my observation of the world, I see us doing just that with many tools, don't you? Like all of the things that are good that God has given for us, we frequently use for evil. The New Testament calls them evil inventions. That's Romans chapter 1. Uh, taking evil, taking uh, taking their skills and, and their tools and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and using them for evil, evil purposes. And I, I think this is one of them where when God gives you and I the stewardship of marriage, we redefine what marriage is and we redo marriage in our own image, in our own likeness and with our own purposes. And it's inevitable that when you do that, there are going to be consequences. I'm already kind of pouring into my basic uh, biblical argument for this kind of trajectory of behavior and expression on the part of people who want to say that they can do with marriage whatever they want to do with marriage. Now, I've got three lines open still. If you want to engage me on the topic, how would you address it? If your loved one came or our friends came, our constituents came, our coworkers came, how would you biblically answer them? Would you just simply say, I don't think that's right? Well, you can say that, but that's not Christian. What good is your opinion over their opinion? One of the things that the Christian has to do is know how to bear the burden of being a believer And bearing the burden of being a believer means you have to bear the burden of one of the most hostile and antipathetic positions of the world that presently exists. And that is their disregard for an an absolute truth system that we call the word of God. There is a fierce battle in our present world around truth, as you know it. Fierce battle against what we would call um, the depository truth in the scriptures called the word of God. Fierce battle in the church and out of the church. So that as God says, every man is walking in his own understanding. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And 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 when once we have abandoned a, a, an umbilical core connection to the true and the living God by virtue of his word, which is where we're going, we're departing fast from the truth. We're going into more and more darkness. So I've got two lines open and I'm asking the question, if you've heard my opening uh, monologue and story about the two young men that have had a child surrogately through a grand, through a, a, a mother via a sister and what the implications and consequences of that will be and how would you answer that if it were an assignment given to you. I'm looking forward to seeing if Christians are up to the conversation. I've got two so far, need two more. one 367 Let me go to line one and talk with Robert in Richmond. Robert, are you there? Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you doing? Sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm blessed. Thank you very much, sir. Um, my situation is, or my, 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 my problem with the whole thing is for the child. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I feel for the child in the situation because of the confusion that mm-hmm. the child is going to have mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And not so much that, and, and as, uh, as much as that is, what is the child going to go through when the child goes to school? When the child has to bear the burden of what the other children think of that child, what the other children are going to say to that child as the child grows up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then from a Christian perspective, there are so many things wrong with this process of bringing this child into the world by, way, by this way of some super science, uh, you know, un- and it's an unnatural it's an unnatural birth. It's an unnatural birth. Okay. You're bringing the child in through a super scientific birth. It's not a natural birth. It's not, it's, we're, like you said earlier, we're going back to Genesis, but we're using the tools of science in an unnatural way. And I just, I just have a problem with that. It's just, and I, unfortunately I won't be able to stand this all long, but there's just so many dynamics when you look at this there's just there's just so many problems and and it and it it can go into the church in so many different ways. Oh, it will go. It will go into the church for sure. We're porous. We have no walls up and we have no secure doors by which people enter in properly. So they will come in uh, largely because um, there has to be an engagement in order for there to be some kind of 
uh, purification process to occur. Rich Robert, I, I actually appreciate the fact that you are intuitively aware of the implications and the problems. I actually am also appreciative that your trajectory starts with the child. That's absolutely important, starting with the child, because I believe that one of the uh, ways in which the secular science Social science man today, the secular social science man today with the tools to reshape things, reshape the world uh, has to do right now is take God's children. That is the biological children of the world, divest them from any real hope and chance and connection uh, with the true and the living God and then make them over in their own corrupt fallen image uh, as fast as they can and with as much complexity as they can so that there will be uh, a, a major uh, a, a group of people that are, as it were, a testimony against the simplicity of a biblical worldview that is to say a, a man and a woman. I, I appreciate that on your part. I'm glad you uh, have con- contributed, but I'm going to have to let you go on that one. Thank you for the call. I'm going to take one more break. When I come back, we can continue. Nelson and Chuck, two lines open, one 367 I'm glad that, ne- uh, that, that our first caller was able to uh, give his opinion and view. I just want to see where you guys are on it. These are the bizarre things that are coming. You got to know how to answer them. And it can't just be emotional. They don't care about your emotions anymore. If you don't, I'll talk about that when I come back. You are not in the majority, Christian. And because of that, the only kind of influence you can have is one where the truth that you share is poignant enough and relevant enough to actually target the fundamental issues at the foundation so that that foundation can be made to shake and tremble and crumble if God should be in it. Otherwise, just because you don't like it, that's not a legitimate apologetic. Two lines open, one 367 Nelson and Chuck, you guys hold on. Looking forward to talking with you on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back the time 549. Let's go to line number three on, uh, I'm sorry, line number two on, um, and and go to San Mateo where Nelson is. Nelson, are you there? Yes, I am. I, I called in, I mean, I just started listening earlier. I thought you were, at first you were talking about um, how different gifts and things can be used. I, I didn't realize you were talking about a specific thing, so I was going to talk about how learning a language can <laughs> can help. Um, but that's that's what that's not what you were really talking about. I guess. right. So, you, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll uh, uh, slightly refresh you, and then you probably want to just kind of uh, wait, and, and, and maybe I'll let you answer another. Ask another question. I mean, we're dealing with a, an account where, if you looked it up quickly, you would see that there were two young men who got married. I think they're Latino in nature, and they, uh, they wanted to have a child. And of course, because they can't have one biologically, they have to either adopt or use some other kind of uh, a complex method. And so what they chose to do was ask their mother to one of them, ask their mother to be a surrogate mother to their child. And of course, where are you going to get the eggs from? Either from mom, uh, which is gross, but it has happened before. Grandmothers have been known to have children for their children, which is jacked up too, in my opinion. But they were able to coerce their sister, ask their sister, or convince their sister, who seems to be also completely in, com- in compliance with this whole process, to don- donate her egg. So mama is the surrogate womb. Sister is the donated egg. And I suppose that uh, the the he element in the male-female um, pseudo-marriage paradigm gave the uh, sperm for them to have the baby. So there is a legitimate father, there is a mother, and there is a carrier that has brought Uma into the world. And what we were talking about before you came on is how that we have moved from the sacred uh, spiritual man— who was given tools by God for the purpose of discovering the glory of God and the purpose of God in all things, and thus use those tools in a way that brings glory to God in a stewardship fashion that God would have decreed, designed, and purposed. Those tools are now being used as toys 
for our own lust and passion. So we move from the sacred spiritual man to the secular science social man. That is the title and identity marker of our present culture, Nelson. I think you would agree. Secular, science-driven, and sociologically uh, affirmed as a as a social framework. We are operating through science and secularism to express ourselves. And one of the impactful evidences of that is the uh, rearranging, redefining of a critical stewardship called marriage. Uh, and we are doing it in the way we want to. Now, with that little uh, snapshot, you have the, the idea around the mishandling of the tools that I was talking about. Wow. You, you, said, that, you said that perfect. I, I definitely agree with that. But the guy who donated his sperm, is he, was he related to the women? Or, yeah, the, or the, the woman is his sister. The woman who is giving the eggs. Listen, the woman who's giving the eggs is his sister. Wow, I think I don't think most people would be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, well, you most can look. Pe- most people are against incest, right? But what's going on today uh, is a turning around, as you know, the pendulum is swinging back, and Richard, our first caller, affirmed that the pendulum is swinging all the way back to the pre-Roman era, of which when God told Israel, when you go into the land, here are the toiva abominations that you're not to engage in, which were descriptive of a society um, having abandoned the revelation of the true and the living God, at least to practice it, as you know. Um, And when you read Leviticus 18 through 20 and you're biblically knowledgeable, you know what, you know, the category of things in that list that God says we should not do. Right. Right. That would include incest, wouldn't it? Exactly. Right. So why if today not only are we accepting uh, homosexual practice, why not incest? Why not polygamy? Why not incest? Why not uh, strange forms of interrelational endogamy, uh, endogamist uh, patterns of of, uh, interrelation at the uh, marital level since it was accepted back then and there? It was. See, this is where we're going. This is not we're not progressing. We're regressing. And you know that. Right, right. And, and what's uh, interesting? Yeah, because because you, we, we have a moral conscience, but that moral conscience, as Charles Stanley said one time, it only goes so far. Right. Well, and it only it, it only goes this far. Moral conscience is absolutely useless where it is not framed and informed by the word of God. The moral conscience at best will uh, will will fire off a signal of warning where its own best interest is in danger. You got that. See, so so what? what right. When when Paul said in Second Timothy three, men will be lovers of themselves, uh, bolsters, proud, high minded, uh, haters of God and haters of those that love God. Uh, the conscience today is so corrupted that the reason the red light goes off is that anything that God says against it in it's in the conscience of the reprobate. That's wrong. It's it's whatever feels good. Do it is the concept in the in the conscience of the reprobate today. Unless God revives the conscience. It's so covered over, as you know, Romans one eighteen, with the unsuccessful suppression of the truth that the conscience cannot actually even breathe to even give a right signal as to what's going on in the lives of men and women. Right. I, I got to go. Like, can I, I, I just want to say something about a certain subject real quick, and I got to go. But um, you, you, as you probably know, um, there was a bunch of people who wrote an anti-social justice statement. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and I agree with them that social justice is not the gospel. I agree with that. That's an oversimplification but, of the statement. Yeah, it is. It is. And, but and but I'm with you. I, I, I'm messing with you because I, I think what you're getting ready to do is shoot a bomb out that you know me. I, I'm going to hear you, but I, it really needs unpacking. And I probably am going to give uh, devote a whole program to the whole spiel of uh, the conflict uh, around the social justice movement right. because it needs to really be ferreted out for a couple hours. You do know that. Right. I'm not, uh, what I was going to tell you is that I talked to people personally who signed it or emailed them and and one of them wrote a book and what i wanted to say is you know a lot of that um topic of social justice is justices around the topic of race of course and it's kind of funny that a lot of these people 
are neo confederates yep. and, and that, that's not a slander i know i talked to them personally well it's just a fact believe in the fourth it's just a fact. Fourteenth Amendment. Yep. They don't believe in the Fourteenth Amendment. They believe the South got a raw deal, and um, I, and then the, at the end of the conversation with one of the guys who's a Bible College president in Lakeland, Florida, he said he he was trying to convince me that the white people were the original slaves in America. I mean, that he had that whole neo Confederate revisionist history, and one guy wrote a book. A certain person wrote a book on justifying American slavery and saying that it was not a bad thing and that rape didn't happen. And uh, I, I'm just saying. Well, you, I, can, I can tell you something now just to let you know, if you wanted to, you, you, could, you could sneak right on up to your pastor. Because uh, many years ago, there were some issues around that that he ha- un- uh, was uncomfortably close to that might be a worthy conversation as well. Because what you're dealing with is one layer of the pathology of uh, the percentage of people that are um, so quick to be pro advocates in an anti social justice. Uh, uh, you know, retort. That's one layer. The one layer that you're talking about, I agree with you. I know that layer. I, I know that particular layer of Caucasian folks who, who go back and lean more sympathetically to the Confederacy. But there are many, many layers like the present generation, Gen X or Gen 1s, Gen 2s, uh, postmodernist progressives that are not part of that lineage in history who are coming at it from a different direction as well, Nelson. It's a little bit more complex. But let's talk about it in the future. Bring it up because uh, we can unpack that and kind of try to find at least some biblical light as to how we deal with the growing departure from the gospel in the name of social justice, all right? Because that needs to be the real issue. Are we losing the gospel? Are we losing the gospel over social justice? And my answer is absolutely yes. But it's it's not so simple as to say that, you know, it's white folks' Fault. And I know you're not saying that, but that's often the white folk, black folk argument that's largely at the center of missing the point here. So thank you for your call, my brother. Thank you for the call. Call again. Thank you. Yeah, call you. again. Let me go to Chuck before we break this off. Line number three. And we've got all the lines open, you guys. one 367 if you're interested in our topic or... If you're interested in Nelson's topic, you know, social justice, I'd be glad to talk with you about that. I hope you're right. I hope you got a deep rooted gospel perspective on it or else you're going to be trapped. But let me talk to Chuck in San Francisco. Chuck, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. What's I your guess. what's your comment or observation on? <laughs> well, that, there's now that I don't know now because that, that's such an interesting com- topic you were just talking about. And it's a it, it is such a deep subject though yeah um about yeah. the social justice thing true you know true. like you said yeah um and that's something i can't wait till you when you do get into that it's like you said it's uh it's, imp- it's important, Chuck. For us. Yeah, it will take time because it, it's it's a historic issue. Revisionism on both sides um, um, and, and right. present powerful pullings uh, towards our younger generation that doesn't like what is see, seen going I, on in I our would, culture. I'm sorry. I, I would like to make one comment about that. Um, and since I think I can say it and, and you being the host of the show, you wouldn't be so good if you said it maybe. But, True. Um, True. Well, I'll just say that, you know, um, as far as the, the people that are, the, the Caucasians that are that group of, um, I, get, I, I almost call them neo-Nazis or whatever. True, true. You know what I mean? True. That, yeah. Uh, I just want to say, as a Caucasian myself, and, and uh, I guess I'd be called conservative uh, for the most part, true. and I think that the, the biggest majority of us consider people like that jerks. I'd use a stronger word if I weren't a Christian. No, and and and, 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 and it <laughs> you know? would be all right in certain contexts where you use that stronger yeah. word. But I totally believe you. I yeah. like like without hesitation. I like totally believe you. I, I don't have. I know. I don't even think it through on that level. I would say, however, uh, Chuck, if you lived in, if did you grow up in the Bay Area here like I did, or no? No, no. I've been here about twenty years. Where are you coming from? Idaho. 
Okay. Yeah, right. Wow, that's good. No, I I got friends in Idaho. So you would have a little bit of a feel of the kind of cultural mentality of the Idahoans uh, around these kind of uh, these kind of matters. I know you would. So having your feet there and having your feet here and then being being a biblical Christian, you can you can actually negotiate a conversation around how they would how some of our Confederate nationalists. nationalist uh, Americans would feel about some of the radical changes they see going on in our in our nation. You can see how they can be disturbed, in other words. Yeah, and, yeah, and in a way, that's, like I said, the one thing you made a comment that I agree with also about um, that uh, that the gospel is kind of being lost in, because, in the name of uh, the social justice. Agreed. Agreed. Or, or, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's, there's a, possibility of that happening it is happening um, it is without a doubt yeah. if we if we unpack it i kill i tell you as i listen to people talking about doing stuff and social movements and helping folks and doing this and doing that which all needs to be done the enemy is so diabolically clever as to not only strip the gospel of any essential Christocentric, God-glorifying, biblically-based uh, gospel principles and doctrines in it, so that all people are doing is using shallow terms as they go out, go about social justice activities. It's so apparently clear that I know that the real battle here is, and this is the goal of the enemy, and that is for him to get rid of the gospel because it alone is the power of God unto salvation. Once the gospel has lost its power in the application thereof then all we got is social activity going on, Chuck. That's right. And that's why um, what I was calling, um, I'm more and more amazed every, not really amazed, but every day I see that uh, the world we live in now is is that kind of where, where where good is called bad and bad is called good. And, yep, yep, you know, uh, yep. it's, it's just crazy. Yep. It's, it's a, it's, it is crazy. Let me ask you one question before I let you go on that. Okay. I mean, uh-huh. With that fact, because I opened up, did, were you were you were you listening when I opened up opened up the show? I heard about the. I, I didn't hear the very beginning, but I've been. I was listening since the first caller. Okay, and I, so, I heard about the the egg situation, the fertility. I mean, the pregnancy. And right. Well, what I that. did what I did in my opening monologue was largely talk about how I deal with. I call it life management. Um, life management uh, agenda. I call myself operating out of a life management agenda. And that is, you know, after uh, 58 years of living on this planet and uh, 40 years of it being in Christ, I, 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 I try to find the good. I try to observe the evil, see it for what it is, and then I try to actually strike the balance of being able to live in a world where there's a lot of reason for skepticism, but also I need to be optimistic about the prevailing nature of the gospel and 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 good men and women such as yourself and others who are also trying to walk the narrow path of faith in Christ in the midst of this chaos. That's what I was saying. So I was asking you, are are you doing well on a spiritual and psychological and emotional level as you see all of these things increasing? Yeah, I believe I am. Oh, good. The help of the Holy Spirit and and God. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Only, only through, only through him and give God all the glory for that. I agree. (laughs) I agree, man. I agree. All right. Well, Uh, bless you, man. Bless you. I got to take a break. I appreciate that. I do. I do care about that because I know one of the things the enemy wants to do is wear out the saints of the most high God. Daniel chapter seven. I'll quote it when I come back. I've got one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let's keep talking. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.